Hi, I'm Michelle, and 36 years ago, my life started in diapers. Uh, hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Ashley. And this is Poverty Pitfalls and the Price of Diapers. How are you today, Ashley? I am doing well. It's one yeah. of those like back-to-back call days. Yeah. So, yeah. Once so we fun. get done you, with the podcast, I'm going to get up and do some jumping jacks. Okay, good. Because I was going <laughs> to say, like, you, I don't think I've ever seen you look so drained. <laughs> like, you just look like... <laughs> like, like bloodshot eyes. Like, the sofa has... You've just absorbed you. The sofa has <laughs> absorbed you. Yeah, you need to go... I need yeah. my, I need my fun, loving, active Ashley back. <laughs> I know. Well, and this week has been so beautiful too, and it's I getting know. ready to turn cold again. So I want to get yeah. some sun rays. Get out but, there, get some yeah. sun, go for a walk. Work can wait. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> it can mm-hmm. happen. Um, why don't you introduce our guest today? Okay. So Michelle Goth is the owner slash creator of Blackberry Babe, and she started a blog and posts all kinds of yummy recipes. And she just came out with a her first cookbook, which um, landed this fall and just in time for the holidays. And she's just a really um, unique, thoughtful, caring person um, here in the Kansas City area. And she has donated I think she donated charcuterie boards. That's how we first got in touch with her. She donated these beautiful charcuterie boards and meats and cheeses and everything to go along with it for our big event in September. And, um, you know, the winners of those items really loved them. And we just said, you know, this lady's blowing up on Instagram and she's obviously, you know, a supporter of ours. So we want to get to know her a little better. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, hey, speaking of that event, which yeah, those charcuterie boards were amazing. Um, we should just share with everybody if, in case we have any new listeners besides my mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what our hi mom? What our um, annual event is? So we have our biggest fundraiser of the year. The Diaper Bowl is in September. Um, it's super fun. You want to talk about it a little bit, Ashley? Sure. Yeah, it's a. Uh tailgate style outdoor fundraiser it's like a parking lot party literally in our parking lot and we have live music we have food we have some games there's live and silent auction last year we did a rock paper scissors tournament which was pretty <laughs> fun and unique um, and it's just kind of like a casual party that um, raises a lot of money that supports our programming and families that we serve throughout the year yeah. And it, it's really fun. We love to have it. So um, that is going to be September 12th from 530 to 930 in our parking lot. Diaper Bowl, Super Bowl, get it. You guys get it. It's fun. It's like tailgate. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. Um, we have a lot of fun with it. So keep an eye out. We'd love to see um, anybody there supporting us. And we have some, we just have some fun, exciting things coming up this year, um, especially for our young professionals. Not going to yes. give away too much yet, but I think there's going to be some really fun young professional events happening this year. Um, and our, our big event, of course. So we'll just, we'll just keep dropping little tidbits here and there. Teasers. Yes. All right. Well, we <laughs> hope you guys enjoy Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Welcome to the How's podcast. How's it going? Good. 
Um, have you done a podcast before? I have. Yes. Oh, good. Exciting. And actually, one of my good friends does a podcast, um, mostly about books, but she'll occasionally have me on just to talk. So I'm a oh, frequent fun. guest. What's it called? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's it called? Um, her name's Addie Yoder okay. and she lives on a farm. Um, I'd say about an hour North of Columbia, Missouri. And she just has a very interesting life. So bigger corn and she, you know, mostly talks about books and talks with authors, but occasionally That's I awesome. come up to, yeah. I love well, you to. have a book now, so. I do have a book now. <laughs> I have a cookbook now, which is super exciting. Yeah. Ooh, tell us about that. Uh, it came out in the fall. It's called A Crowded Table and it has almost all my favorite holiday recipes in it. So we wanted to get it out in time for the holiday season. And it was my first attempt at publishing, which was a journey. Uh, But I'm really excited that it's out in the world. So it's a big deal for me. Did you get a publisher? Did you self-publish? Yeah, that that is a a process, isn't it? It's a huge process. And um, I've been approached by several publishers over the years. And the arrangement is actually not financially advantageous to a first-time author in any way uh it's really it's a struggle and I understand why so many people self-publish knowing that uh, this was a little bit of a hybrid uh opportunity for me where they took control of the formatting and a lot of the things in the sales side they set up a website for me uh but they're not really a traditional publisher if that makes sense. So Very cool. they do books uh, and they do printing, but they don't do the promotion and the marketing side of it. So, well, congratulations. That's Thank you. Really yeah, exciting. Awesome. Did you yeah. get to do some, some press, some, you know, tours and, you know, probably we not had, a grant um, to do some, some stuff locally. How'd that go? Uh, we did a release party at Afterward Tavern downtown. Uh, they've been a great partner for me. They're a bookstore um, and a bar. So um, <laughs> they were happy to host it. We kind of kept things small because of COVID, you know, and things were surging again at the time. And so I didn't do any in-person signings and things like that. But I've talked to a few local shops and I hope to do it in preparation for the next holiday season. Awesome. Hopefully things are a little bit better. Oh, I so. hope. Okay. So tell yeah. me, I know, I know we have questions to ask you, but I want to go side. I'm going to sidetrack us here. So, um, are these easy? Look, I hate to cook. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish it was a passion. I wish it was something. And you know what? I shouldn't say I hate to cook. I'm a single mom. It's just me and my daughter mm-hmm. 90% of the time. And it right. is, and she eats the same five things over and over again. Yep. Same. Um, my son so, too. Yeah. Right. So it ends up that I'm just cooking for myself. And I just, you know, I mean, I think there have been times in my life, like if I had a big group of people and we were all cooking together, right. Cause it, there is that thing around food where you make it mm-hmm. a lot of people and it is fun, but let's be real majority of the time. It's just me trying yeah. to get some food in my mouth to right my body be able to move <laughs> yeah to go to the next step of the day yeah i'm in the yeah. exact same situation but i love to cook so whenever i have guests are like what what do you want i'll make whatever you want because oh. i love to experiment it's just i mean she like said it's just me so it's like yeah. mom's inside. so you <laughs> right. said these are kind of favorite holiday recipes mm-hmm. are they yes. um so for the type of person who doesn't love to cook are they fairly simple recipes they follow? are fairly simple for the most okay. part i would there are a few what i would call aspirational recipes in there mm-hmm. that have 
many steps and many ingredients, but for the most part, they're all very simple. So I strive for short ingredient lists above all, um, on my website and in the book that kind of transferred over. So they are pretty easy. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. And tell everybody what your website is. My website is blackberrybabe.com. It is a recipe blog. I've been blogging there for about eight years. Um, it was a very much a part-time hobby sort of thing for me, Mm -hmm. um, up until about five years ago when, um, I got, started getting a lot of site visitors (laughs) and it became an actual thing. So uh, now it's my full-time job, which is amazing. That is incredible. What was there something that happened? You think that kind of got all those site visitors or was it just organic or was it one of those, you know, you hit the jackpot, one of those. I never hit the, yeah, I never hit the jackpot. It was like a (laughs) slow and steady turtle, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it, and it, it just takes a while for the internet to love your website. You know, you can't start a website and then all of a sudden Google loves it and puts it, you know, first in search results and all these things. It's, it's a slog. It's a total slog. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I have a lot of blogger friends that did hit the jackpot and got, you know, a huge magazine wow. feature or had something go crazy viral and overnight you know, their, their trajectory, their life changed. That has never happened for me. <laughs> so <laughs> it has been slow. Um, but it did get to a point that it was competing with my day job and it was becoming stressful. So, um, I'm grateful it did get to that point because that was, that was, awesome. that was always my hope. That would yeah. Get there. Great. Well, I, I kind of want to hear, yeah, how, a little bit more about your journey to get there. So sure. tell us about kind of your early life, where you grew up, what that looked like and kind of your path to where you got, how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So I, I was born just outside of Jefferson city, Missouri, um, and stayed there up until college. Um, I, I always say my mom hates it when I tell people this, but, um, I was an accident. So, um, (laughs) my, my mom was, uh, pushing 40 and had two teenagers in the house and, here I came. So, um, I was a happy little accident, (laughs) but I, I know, you know, I threw a lot of things into chaos. Just if you can imagine having two teenagers, both working full-time and then having a newborn that is challenging. So, um, yeah, I had a very independent upbringing. Um, I was a latchkey kid. I was, you know, dropped off by the neighbors and very independent from an early age, just by necessity and fine with it. You know, I don't have any issues with it, residual traumas or anything like that from it. Um, my parents are wonderful. They're very, um, I would, the, the adjective for them is steady, you know, which as you age, you realize how much of a blessing that is. Um, to have steady and stable parents, because uh, it's not particularly easy to be stable, even as an adult, a lot of the times <laughs> it is actually pretty hard. Uh, they both were first generation off the farm. Uh, so in their own way, they were kind of making big strides from uh, what the family tree had been. Uh, my dad was first generation college, um, you know, through the GI Bill. Um, you know, my mom went straight to work from high school, um, both from very rural settings into, 
you know, the big metropolis of Jefferson City, Missouri, which only has 40,000 people, but to them, it was a whole different world. So um, wonderful people. They both work for the state of Missouri their entire lives. Uh, you know, we can't imagine that right now <laughs> with how much everyone job hops, but um, they both started and ended their careers working for the state of Missouri. Wow. Um, as Very steady. <laughs> yeah. Very steady. And stable. Yeah. You said, you said that word <laughs> stable. I love that descriptor. Like mm-hmm. what a great, what a great compliment to your parents. Cause I think that's, yes. that's hard. Stability. It's hard to be stable. It is it really is. So it is. that's great. And, yeah. and clearly that's in them since they worked for that long. Mm-hmm. Very um, yeah, loyal to their positions. And yeah, that's incredible. You know. It is incredible. It really is. Um, and what was the work you were in before you kind of, you know, well, I guess while you were starting this blog, um, mm-hmm. what kind of work were you in involved in? So I've been in Kansas City since I graduated college. I went to Truman State in Kirksville and came here immediately after. And um, I was working at Ripple Glass, the glass recycling company, and I loved it. So um, I started there in a what I would consider very like hodgepodge role because uh, it is it is a tiny company and it was even tinier when I joined it um, doing project management reporting data management all sorts of, some accounting you name it um, and then just grew up in the company um, into kind of a sales role or kind of an external representative going throughout the Midwest to help communities with their programs. And then the last three years I was there, I was the general manager. So kind of just worked my way up. Um, and we had 26 people uh, when I left. And it, it was hard to leave because I did love it so much. Um, but it was also stressful because it's a manufacturing yeah, they have a manufacturing facility, which runs 24-7, 365, and trucks and people, and, you know, it was mm-hmm. a big job. So um, I was grateful to have the opportunity to work for myself. Um, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to build my own business and attempt to build my own wealth, you know. Um, that was something that I always wanted the chance to do so it was a big deal for me to get to to get to leave and do that and try and try to make it work so (laughs) gotta be scary too I'm sure oh scary (laughs) it's so scary um you know going from stability and a very predictable income to a very unpredictable income uh it's wildly seasonal and of course I have you know clients uh, food brands I work with that, you know, I'll work with them for two months and everything's very hot and heavy and then they go away. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely an adjustment for me and the family, but I do like having freedom over my schedule too, especially as my son gets older. Mm, how old is your son? He just turned eight. Oh, fine. he's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good time. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. a fun age. Yeah. Aww. It's super fun. That's awesome. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about poverty. Um, yeah. um, I, I know that you do have some passions and you are very giving as, as well on top of the work that you do. So um, when and how did you learn about poverty? I, I would say I have always been peripherally aware of poverty, um, but 
more on the rural poverty side. Um, my family, extended family, um, originate from the area around Rolla, Missouri, which the population is, there's no population, it's, it's desolate. Um, and the county in particular that most of my family is from and where I spent a lot of time growing up um, is particularly riddled with, um, I would say, yeah, I mean, you can check all the boxes, right? Um, really low graduation rates, um, lots of drug opi opioid issues and meth issues, um, poverty rates around 20%. You know, I just, I've always been aware of it and have seen it. Um, and what that looked like in that area is that I always saw a lot of squalor, if that makes sense. Um, maybe looks a little different in rural settings. A lot of squalor people living in unfit situations. Um, when I came to Kansas City, you know, a lot of the kind of work and giving, giving I've done has been around food because that's kind of how I relate to life. Um, but, you know, I had an, an, a light bulb moment where things kind of clicked for me and I was in my early twenties and of course, in your early twenties, you don't care about really anything except yourself. <laughs> and, you know, you, you are not really like putting the pieces together yet. Um, I, um, helped with a program at one of the charter schools in Casey Mo, and we, were basically teaching the students and their caregiver about basic cooking skills. You know, how do you cook from fresh? Like, let's let's get you familiar with it so that it doesn't feel so daunting. Um, and that for me was a complete light bulb and that a lot of the children had not eaten any of the foods that we had. You know, whether it was a fresh protein um, I remember like very distinctly that um, one fourth grader I was working with had not tasted a blueberry or a blackberry. And it was just, you know, to me, I was like, okay, you know, that was the first time I really, since I see the world through food, that I saw what that meant, you know, of poverty. And I thought about it hard. Um, because while, you know, my parents were not well-to-do growing up, we always had fresh food. And I got to, not that I wanted to eat all the foods, but I at least had the opportunity to eat, eat most fresh foods. Um, that if you had limited resources, you would not choose the $4 pint of blueberries. You just wouldn't. It does not stretch. And so that was really, I think, the first time, I think I was 23 or 24, where I thought about what it actually meant, you know, the things that you would and you would not have as a result of poverty and how that differed from what I had as a kid. So true. And it all goes back to like their access and the affordability of those mm -hmm. fresh products. Yeah. And also it ties into brain development, because if you were not feeding your body with those nutrients, then you're not getting the full potential, you know, at those right. primitive years when you really need it. So it, mm -hmm. you know, it yeah. has lasting effects, unfortunately. Yeah, it does. It does just the base nutrition. 
So we are all leaders in some way. Can you tell me how you're a leader and if there was a defining point or person that led to that? You know, I think, I think I really, I grew up at Ripple Glass. Um, You know, I learned all the things there in my time there. I had a really good mentor, which, you know, is just honestly, it's like a lightning strike to have someone that you really connect with that knows the, all the things, right. Um, you know, being a leader for me, a lot, once I learned, you know, I came into a leadership role, I was highly uncomfortable, honestly, in that role. Um, cause I'm not super authoritative. I'm more kind of a relator and I, you know, just want everyone to just understand things and I'm not ever going to just tell them you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, you know, the thing I learned from him is, you know, as, as a leader, you have to think of it as a gift or a blessing because you have the chance to improve the quality of life for everyone that works for you. And that can mean a lot of things. Of course, the financial side of it is really important. Um, one thing we did there was increase everybody's really a diverse staff and di- diverse roles, increase everyone to a living wage, you know, the basics of leadership, right. And that, you know, if, we can't pay that, then are we really a solvent company? You know, do we really, what are we doing? Um, All the way up to, you might be the only person that tells that person that they're great, you know, and you have like maybe more power than you want in leadership a lot of times, Um, but you have a lot of power to help a person see how great they are and feel good about themselves, you know? And so that for me in leadership was, you know, as uncomfortable as I was with it at times, um, that for me was the part I loved is helping people feel good about themselves, see what was good about them. Everyone has something right. Um, and help gain confidence. You know, we had a really young staff and, um, every, all sorts of situations that they came from. Um, and it's fun to see people grow and like kind of come into themselves, you know, and give them permission to do that in that space. And I think, you know, there's a lot of times where it's a little strange, but the workplace might be the first place you feel like you're truly yourself. You know, you might not feel like that in a family situation or during college, you come into the workplace, you might really hit your stride. So um, for me, you know, that part of leadership is what's cool. Um, And I'm glad I got the chance to do that for people. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think our work, you know, is, can be for some people, a big part of our identity. I know, you know, I stayed at home with my son for nine years as a stay-at-home mom and I volunteered with different things, but I missed that so much, you know, like yeah. having somebody give you a pat on the back at the end of the day, like your child's not really doing that. <laughs> and your husband, Never. you know, is it, I'm sure they give you compliments, but you know, yeah. having that, have going back to work for me, has been instrumental just in like being able to see myself grow in that part of my identity that was missing for so many years. And I love staying at home with my child and I wouldn't have traded it for yeah. anything in the world. But um, I think that you understanding that as a leader has probably meant a lot to a lot of people. So kudos to yeah. you. Yeah. Well, that I think you, you raise a really good point. You know, we, a lot of times we can't have it all at once, but 
um, it's good to have that experience where you really feel appreciated and validated, at least at some point, you know, <laughs> it's helpful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, um, so why do you think some of us end up in a pile of it and some of us get out clean? Yeah, this, this question is important. And I think, you know, how people answer it, you can probably tell a lot about them and their worldview. Um, you know, I think I always use the analogy with my son because sports for him, it works, but, um, we're all born kind of in different places around the baseball diamond. Right. And we have absolutely no control over that. Um, good, bad, or otherwise, you know, who our parents were, what socioeconomic condition, we were raised in how good the school district was, you know, as major, I know like where my family is from, there's not really quality education. And that is gonna just immediately set you back when you don't have even access to decent education. If your school is in the bottom 10% for the state, you know, that's rough. Um, And it's also something as a child, you have zero control over um, and you spend the first 18 years of your life, you know, for the average person, 25% of their life, they have no control over that first section of it. Um, And so I think a lot of us start behind, you know, we talk about people that are exceptional, that rise above it, that, you know, claw to get, you know, out of poverty or out of a bad situation or out of an abusive situation or whatever it might be. Um, But I think a lot of times that's the anomaly. And I don't really feel like we can expect people to be able to do that for themselves, you know, expect that to be the norm or dismiss people because they don't do that. Um, So, you know, I think, I mean, I see, I see things through a unique lens. I think seeing so much rural poverty and having people in my family that didn't graduate high school, not because they hated school, but because their family needed money, you know, having kind of those things in my family, um, I think helps me understand how you can get started in play catch up, you know, Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life, really. Um, We did, I was in the Centurions program for the Kansas City Chamber um, when I was at Ripple and we did a poverty simulation. And I think, I don't think it was mind blowing for me, uh, but I think it was mind blowing for a lot of people. And it's something I wish that would be, you know, part of every senior curriculum or freshman high school curriculum, just of if you have nothing or you have close to nothing, then every single thing that happens to you, that happens to all of us because humans are messy and life is messy and things break. Every single thing sets you back Mm -hmm. or sometimes puts you in the negative. If you have no resources, every single thing is a big deal and every single thing feels all consuming. And I remember like people drawing cards in that simulation of your car broke down. You only have $400 in the bank account. It's $900 to fix your car. What do you do? You know, and just being like, I don't know. I don't know what I would do, you know, if I'm not credit worthy or my parents can't loan me money, you know, and that's reality. So, yeah, um, we've talked about that simulation on here before. And I've heard stories of um, people, you know, grown businessmen actually walking out of it because they get so frustrated at the, at the situation. Um, that doesn't surprise me, but um, 
And I think a lot of what you talk about or what you're mentioning is really, you know, what we talk about a lot in the nonprofit world is the social determinants of health, right? Just the where you were born and, you know, you're born in an area that the schools aren't great. Well, that's going to affect, that's going to have a lifelong effect. You're born um, in a part of town where there's no big box stores that have diapers. It's a diaper desert or a food desert, right? That's going to have a long-term effect on your health. So yeah, I I think that's the only place you can buy diapers is at a corner store or a CVS for two times what they should cost. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really, um, a really good answer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) But yes, very, very. Um, what, oh wait, actually I want to go back. So you participated in that. Um, I've never actually done the poverty simulation. I've heard all about it. Um, you said it wasn't as shocking to you as maybe it was to some, but, um, Mm -hmm. just, I guess, tell us a little about that. What, what was the experience for you and was it a, you know, a challenge? Did you, you know, what was your experience? I mean, it just doing the hour long simulation you want to give up and that's not real life even mm-hmm. you know <laughs> just having to live through the hour long simulation where you don't find you can't really you know and this it, it's a group of really smart people right like these are mm-hmm. all really smart humans and they cannot like plot a way out of the situations that they're given and they're all very realistic mm-hmm. you know it's not overblown by any stretch um everybody was irritated yeah Mm. and I mean I I believe that some people have walked out of it or quit (laughs) just because the the frustration that you feel doing it is so it's bad yeah Mm -hmm. it, it does feel unwinnable in a lot of ways Right. But that's so important. And I love what you said about how Mm -hmm. you wish every, you know, high school student or somebody like, yes, like our entire community needs to go through that experience so that, that they truly understand because so many people just make assumptions and think that people aren't trying. Um, right. But it is, it is, yeah, not a great, not a great system. No, I've never done an actual poverty simulation, but I have done the operation breakthrough and I don't know if they still do it or not, but they had a bus tour and it was called uh, the city you don't see. They yep. still do it. Do they yep, still do we it? Went on that too. Oh yeah. yeah. And that was really powerful. And you'd mentioned the car. I remember one antidote that they were telling us during the bus tour was that they had clients that, you know, they would have these cars available. They would try to give a car to a person and the person would say, you know, a car is more of a burden to me than right. it is to, you know, a benefit because then I have to, you know, worry about insurance and gas Mm -hmm. and maintenance and then if you know i'm relying on this car and something happens then i've invested these resources and so whereas we might think oh you know they don't have a car let's get on a car for some people even that is like too burdensome to to be a benefit to them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's exactly right i mean we had a few folks at ripple glass that used the bus system and that was a hundred percent their logic is i don't have enough in savings you know, I'm not going to be able to buy a car that doesn't break down ever. And I don't have enough in savings to cover it and also pay insurance and, 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 mm-hmm. and. So um, as inconvenient as the bus system is and how much time it adds to a person's day, mm-hmm. uh, which is another thing we don't think about, that was the better choice for them at the time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So Michelle, what do you most value? Um, my same mentor that I mentioned earlier, he, um, he helped me to a light bulb moment at one point when I was really struggling and feeling like I just couldn't, um, I had way too much going on. And I, when I have way too much going on, I get overwhelmed. Um, I stop thinking clearly. I stop functioning as a human. I usually shut down and just like go lay in my room and I just can't do anything. Um, he told me that um, happiness or like happiness is not ever really the right word, I think, but um, quality of life is directly related to how much access you have to things that bring you joy. And so if what you're doing, and in this case, you know, running a company was it for me, um, if what you're doing is prohibiting you from having access to those things, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself, <laughs> um, wasn't making it to therapy, wasn't, you know, active in any way, shape or form, wasn't eating well, I didn't see my son as much as I wanted to, all the things that kind of make my life quality. Um, if you don't have access to the things that give you joy, you've got to rearrange things. You have to find another way. Um, so that, you know, for me, flexibility and just the ability to prioritize those things is what I value. Um, and that's, I mean, I think it's perfect that I now work for myself because <laughs> I can, you know, I can see my son from you know, three to five every day. Like in that, I mean, he was always the last kid picked up at daycare, you know, he was there from seven to six, whatever. Um, it's a very different situation for me. So I appreciate it and value it very, yeah. very much. Yeah. Access to joyful things, things that bring you joy. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. It, 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 it is amazing. It was, it was a life-changing <laughs> moment when he said that. And I was like, yeah, literally everything I'm doing is a barrier to those things. You know? How was um, the process of change? Like, so it's one thing to say that and recognize that. Yeah, no, it was a, then the process to get there. Mm -hmm. It was a more than a year transition mm -hmm. because yeah. every, I mean, everything had to change. It wasn't, and it wasn't just job. It was my uh, mentality and how I responded to things and how available I was mm -hmm. um, and how used to me being available everybody was. Mm -hmm. um, every single thing had to change. Um, I mean, I don't think you necessarily have to hop jobs to you know, have that, but um, it's a boundary thing. Yeah. And I had none, I had none. So, um, I mean, I did start putting the wheels in motion to leave and work for myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but even then I found myself after, you know, when I was self-employed and doing my own thing, I still didn't really have the firm boundaries going or ideas of what I should be doing with myself. So, I mean, it took a lot of time to not and just let people drag me wherever they needed to be and mm -hmm. instead be where, you know, I needed it's to be to feel satisfied, you know? Yeah. It's so hard. I experienced something very similar, gosh, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. Um, and I would say I'm still in the process. I'm, I'm better with the boundaries, but it is more the, um, holding yourself accountable to the things that 
to those priorities of things that bring you joy. In Mm -hmm. fact, I'm going to use an example, Ashley, I'm going to put you on the spot. We were just talking about how (laughs) like we, you know, we're doing a lot of working from home right now with the pandemic, Mm -hmm. which oftentimes, you know, I mean, there are days when I've woken up, gone downstairs, laid on the sofa, checked my email real quick and did not move until yeah. 3, 3 30 when I have to go pick up my kid, my butt did not move one yep. minute. And it's like, that is not healthy. That is not good for my mental, physical and for nobody right. else at the end of the day. Right. Um, and we were just talking about Ashley, I, you know, she's like, I'm just so sick of sitting here. I'm like, go run, go do something. Yeah. And he's like, you know, that's my goal every day. <laughs> well, I'm a very active person that like, you, you are. Know, I remember when I was a stay-at-home mom, I would have like 15, 16,000 steps a day. Like I would, that was my zone. I love to be yeah. very active, but I also really love my job and I love what I do. So I can sit and work for like three or four hours have gone by and I've just been sitting here and I don't realize it. And I'm like, uh-huh. and then Same. the more I sit, the more I want to sit, like I don't have as much energy. I feel like because my body's used to not being in as much motion then I don't have the energy to make motions i'm just like this is yeah. what am I? what's <laughs> happening <laughs> the whole objects in motion and objects at rest thing uh-huh. is, yes. is you know we all learned about that during the pandemic <laughs> yes. yes and it is yeah. it's a challenge i even put on my calendar like breaks a couple times a day mm-hmm. um and i had uh, Um, you know, one person on the team was actually not scheduling things during the breaks, which I totally appreciated. But I was like, why didn't you schedule this at 11? She's like, cause you had that you were doing your break. And I wanted, and I was like, oh, that's so sweet. I'm not doing That's super respectful. Yeah, it is. But also I'm not doing those breaks. I'm like, step one was to put it on the calendar. You're like, I'm still on the couch in my lap. Is to actually (laughs) do it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just, it is that holding yourself accountable to make sure that you are doing those things that bring you joy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's a good, that's, I, I appreciate the reminder. That's a good reminder yeah. that I think we all need. Um, yeah. yeah. To do those things that bring you joy, make yeah. those a priority. So mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Ashley, do you have any other questions? No, I really enjoyed the conversation. Where can people find you and your recipes and your blogs mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm at blackberrybabe.com. So that's the whole library of recipes is there. Um, you can find me on Instagram at blackberrycooks because Blackberry Babe was taken. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm pretty active on Instagram. That's probably my most used social media platform. Awesome. awesome. I'm going to go find some recipes to try this weekend from yes. your website. And then Ash, <laughs> Ashley and I will have to talk about how it went. There we go. Maybe we can each make something from the recipes yes. and Fair we can notes. share. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you. We appreciate your time yeah, today. You um, and good luck, continued luck and success for you yeah. and, and all, the, all that you're doing. Thank you. Same yeah. to you all. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks. Bye. 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 Michelle um you can tell that she's like from her rural upbringing and her stable you know background she's just a very even kill person and that doesn't mean you know she can't be overwhelmed or um, put too much on her plate and have struggles with that but Mm -hmm. she just has a very thoughtful way about thinking about things and 
prioritizing to where she is now. So I'm happy for her that she's been able to accomplish that. Yeah. I love it. I, um, I like this one. I kind of like going in, not knowing a lot about our guests and I had never met Michelle before. And so now that we're off, I'm totally looking at her, um, <laughs> website. <laughs> like well, that's at, usually okay. the spot that I'm in because you schedule most of them and I, I know. don't know anything. And then... <laughs> but it's kind of fun that way, isn't it? I feel it like is, it's fun yeah. to like learn about them on the spot. Um, yes. but I'm definitely looking at her brown sugar, smoked salmon, um, and air fryer zucchini chips. I might have I to just try. bought an air fryer. <gasps> they were did. on sale at Walmart for 60 bucks and they're normally a hundred. So I bought, I was like, that's amazing. I, I know that's awesome. Ooh, stuffed crockpot apples. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to try some of this stuff. Um, Yes. She was really fun to talk to. And I thought it was really nice that she kind of opened up and shared a little bit about that joy piece. And it sounds like, you know, she definitely had some struggles. So I loved that part of the conversation. It was yeah. great. Um, yeah. She's, she's really neat. And she's like, she said, she's made her way all the way up to the top of a company. So she's very bright and intelligent. And now she's thriving in this totally different occupation, which is really cool. That's really cool. Well, we hope that you guys all check her out and the good work she's doing. And uh, as always, thanks for listening.